Welcome to RLA's Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy week two in our new series, Non-Negotiables, by Pastor Renee Molina. I want to I get into today's message. We've been covering a series, a new series called Non-Negotiables. Non-Negotiables. And um, these are, uh, this is week two of ten. And I'm really, really excited to get, to get into this. So with that being said, we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive right in. So God, we, we just thank you for everything that you're doing. We thank you for the good in our life. We thank you because um, in the middle of the mess, in the middle of the craziness, we know that you're guiding us. We know that in the craziness, you are with us. And so God, we choose to trust you. We ask that you may speak to us today. And um, God, whoever couldn't come to service to this gathering because of work, school, um, laziness, <laughs> whatever it might be, God, um, I just ask that you may get this message to them. In your name we pray. Amen. So week two of the series, Non-Negotiables. And I want to start off by asking you, what is the perfect avocado? What is the perfect avocado? And I, if you were here last Sunday, you kind of know where I'm going with this. Uh, the first few minutes are going to be reviewed. But what is the perfect avocado? The perfect avocado, the one that you just look at it and it's just like, this is, this is it. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> is when it's not too hard and it's, when it's, and it's not too soft. Right? Kaylee and I, we eat a lot of avocados, uh, maybe too much. You know, every time we go to Earth Cafe, I always get the avocado toast with poached egg, soft. Um, and uh, I avoid the tomatoes. But um, the perfect avocado is a soft, is a, is a not too hard, not too soft avocado. And I feel like that is what God is looking for in people. God is looking for in people when they are not too soft and not too hard. Nowadays, you're finding two extremes of people. You're finding people that are way too hard. Like they have their convictions and they are smashing people with what they believe, right? It's like, man, like you're taking your beliefs way too serious and you're smashing people for the sake of your beliefs. But then there's the other extreme of people where they're way too soft. They let the opinions of others change their convictions. They're the people that they don't know who they are. They don't know what their convictions are. They don't know their values because they're always changing their values based on what people say. And so what God is looking for in people are people that are like the perfect avocado. I wish I brought one. Um, the perfect avocado, which is people that aren't too hard, but people that aren't too soft. And so we're, we're going to be covering these non-negotiables of these, these things, these foundations that we strongly believe in. And I strongly believe that these foundations help us sh shave our uh, shape our lives, not shave our lives, <laughs> shape our lives. Um, the definition of non-negotiable, everybody here has non-negotiables, right, at home? Like everybody, some, some of your non-negotiables is everybody that's older than 18 better work and better contribute, Right? Like, you can't try to negotiate out of there, right? Can I get an amen? There's some uh, marriages, non-negotiables is, now you are faithful to me and me alone, and we are not negotiating outside of that, right? 
So everybody has non-negotiables. What if you were that too soft and soggy avocado where you would be like, you know what, in this marriage, like, yeah, maybe we could change a few of these things. It's like, no, 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 you're too soggy, too soft, nasty, right? And so everybody has these uh, these non-negotiables. The definition of non-negotiable is something that is not open to discussion or reconsideration. There are things in your life that cannot be open to discussion or negotiation. negotiation. Because if not, you're going to just be this person that goes with the wind and goes wherever, and you don't have have direction. And so if you have a Bible, can you go to John chapter 17? John chapter 17. And today, today's non-negotiable is something that we see throughout all of Scripture, and it's called the Trinity. Not the Matrix Trinity, uh, the, tr- the original Trinity. Um, tr- uh, John 17, we, saw, we see a great example of the Trinity. John 17, verse 20. Today's non-negotiable is the Trinity. Say with me, the Trinity. Yes. And no, we're not talking about the Avengers Trinity. We're not talking about uh, the Lakers' new Trinity. Thank, uh, thank you. You're right. Um, we're talking about the original Trinity. Um, all right, I need to stop with these sports uh, references. Here we go. So this is Jesus praying at the darkest time of his career. And he says, John 17, 20, he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Say with me, one. Father, just as you and me and I am in you, may they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you have given me that they may be one as we are one. Say with me, one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete and perfect unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me even as you have loved, um, you have them as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of everything. Holy, righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So today's non-negotiable, one of our foundations is the Trinity. And it's something that the, the word doesn't literally appear in Scripture, but it's throughout. The idea is throughout Scripture. Actually, for the Bible nerds that want to hear this, in the Old Testament, it's subtle. But in the New Testament, it's obvious, and then it's high, it highlights it in the Old Testament. And so the, the Trinity is, is, is this thing that you need to see. This, the Trinity is, is you're going to see how essential it is for our life today and how it shapes us, how essential it is for us. So I want to tell you that the God of the scriptures is, is a triune God. And so can we put it on the screen? Um, there's this, I, I want to show you this. Um, 
Can we, can we, there we go. Thank you. So God is three such persons. This is essential. This is really important. God is three such persons, three discrete centers of thought, will, and consciousness. The analogies that best convey it are personally pluralistic. In other words, God is like a family, a community, or a society of persons. Let's read that last sentence again, that, the last one. God is like a family, a community, or a society of persons. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain why this is essential for us to understand. Now, any model is really, like, not sufficient to, 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 have, to compare the unity, the, the trinity to. There, there really isn't any, any model. What's popular is is this, this image of, of God. We, when we think of God, we think of this one image, uh, the first one, the, 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 the pointing one, that one. When we think of God, we think of this one old guy, old man, you know, that is creating, right? But that, that's the more popular one, the one people kind of know about, the one they have in their imagination, in their mind. But the real, more accurate view of God that the scriptures talk about is the following, is this one. Can we put it on the screen, please? Is this one. God, the God we worship, is three in one, one in three. He is, God is, is, this, is this community of three divine People that they have their own self, they have their own self uh, consciousness. They have this their own. They have their own will, but their will becomes one. And this is extremely important. So, with that being said, I want to tell you that there are three major lessons of the Trinity. Are you guys ready? Three major lessons. One, understanding. The Trinity, number one, when we apply it to our lives, number one, it cures selfishness. Are you guys following me? One of the things that we learn when we know that our God is a community of three divine, uh, equally powerful people is that, one, it cures selfishness. Can I tell you something? Whenever we think, thank you, we could, we could, um, <laughs> whenever we, whenever we think of just ourselves, selfishness is one of the most dangerous things in our society. The Trinity shows us that we cannot live on an island. The Trinity shows us that we have to learn to live in community, that we cannot live on an island. Nowadays, we've gone to the extreme of caring only about me, living on an island, care about myself, my desires, my wants. But when you model your life after God's, you notice that you cannot live a selfish life. There's dangers to selfishness, loneliness. When you start living for your own desires and you start living uh, uh, far from everyone, you start living a lonely life. Secondly, you start sacrificing things, you start sacrificing people for things. You're willing to run over key relationships in your life for the sake of things. When you are selfish, 
you become you start sacrificing precious relationships for more money. You start sacrificing your 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 relationship with your loved ones for a better career. Does that make sense? And so the Trinity shows us that we cannot live on an island. Last week we learned that God created us in his image, right? That means that you are essentially, you could only thrive when you're around the right people. You following me? If God made you in his image and if he's a community of three, then you cannot reach your ultimate purpose alone. Another danger of selfishness is you start building your own empire. I just finished this uh, docu-series on Netflix, um, it's not for kids, <laughs> about the Roman Empire, about how these emperors wanted to create names for themselves and statues for themselves and all these things for themselves. And when you start living a selfish life, you start becoming so insecure that you need so many other people to validate you. Can I tell you something? If you want to live a secure life, you only need a few people to validate you. But insecurity is when you need many, many people to validate your dignity. Selfishness is actually, it's a surprise because by being selfish, you're actually showing your insecurity. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not talking about privacy. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, space from people because we all need that. Privacy is like, I need space from people because, man, I'm done with everybody. I just need my own space in my own uh, sofa, couch. I, I, need, I need my PJs. I need, I need my privacy. That's privacy. Uh, isolation is when you say, you know what? Like, I'm not going to share my struggles with anybody. There's a difference there. And selfishness takes you to live on an island where no one could reach you. Some of you have exiled yourself. <laughs> you know? Some of us, we exile ourselves. It's like, no, I'm, I, and we, we're, I, we're, we're going to this island far, far away and for no one to meet us and touch us and talk to us and reach out to us. One of my classmates, um, she ha she's from Nigeria, and she says there's this saying in Nigeria that I love. It's, it says, Yoti Bali. Say with me, Yoti Bali. Yeah, and I loved it. And you know what it means? Yoti Bali means one stick of broom cannot sweep alone. Isn't that good? I was like, man, that's so good. And she was telling us in my country, she said, in my country, like, you Americans are weird. She was saying, like, in my country, we could walk around with our babies, just walk around. And, and, but you guys are, like, everyone's on in their own corner. Like, in my country, we're a country where we got each other's back. And she said, our, one of our favorite sayings is, Yoti Bali, one stick of broom cannot sweep alone. In other words, you can't do what God called you to do alone. You need to do it with others. Are you seeing why the Trinity is so important? The Trinity shows us that you cannot do things alone. If God is, does not work alone, how are we going to work alone? Some of your jobs, you have to have a partner, right? You can't be alone. What do people say when you walk alone in the streets? 
Like, you want me to walk with you? You want me to go with you? At least that's what they've told me, you know what I mean? And more like I tell that to people, you know, because they depend on my security. Anyways, so that's one of the lessons that the Trinity teaches us. It cures us from selfishness. Can I tell you, the first time in the Bible where God says that something is not good is when? Do you know? When he made Adam and he said, it is not good for the man to be alone. The Hebrew word is not just masculine. The Hebrew word there is all humanity. And you know why he said that? Because God was saying you cannot reach your ultimate purpose in life in isolation. In prison, you know what's one of the top punishments that prisoners go through? You know what it is? Isolation in the hole. Because it messes with your mind. It messes with your body. It messes with everything inside of you because you were not meant to live life alone. The Trinity teaches us seeing our God as a family of three shows us that we cannot do things alone. The second thing, oh, man, and this one, tell the person next to you, get ready. The second lesson that we get from the Trinity is it becomes a model of community for us. It becomes a model of community. And that's the thing. More than just the Trinity being an idea, it starts becoming a model for the way we do life. And, and, and this is where, where I'm getting to. Different points of view. Different thoughts. Different perspectives. Different wills. Yet, they make just one essence. Can I tell you something? It's not hard to look around and see how divided we are. We see it on social media. We see it in the news. How divided we are because we have so many different points of views, so many different opinions, so many different points where we're coming, and we cannot be one united, supposedly states. <laughs> our families, how many in our families, once there's disagreements, people start fighting and then they stop talking to each other for like a month and then maybe for a year. But the, when we start applying the model of the Trinity to our lives, we start seeing that, wait, even though we have different points of views, we could still be one essence. Are you guys following me? Tell the person next to you, stop creating division. <laughs> exactly. God is three such persons, three centers of thought, will, and consciousness. Yet they're one essence. Different people, different points of views, yet they are perfectly in harmony. So much so that they're one. How many of our families need to apply the model of the Trinity in, 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 our, in our lives. Nowadays, we can't disagree without fighting. Nowadays, if I disagree with you, you all of a sudden think I'm hating you and you take it personal. And it's like, no. Can I, can I tell you something? If you can't disagree with someone in a constructive way, you can't get married. Or better yet, you can't have a long marriage. Because let me tell you something. In a marriage, you're disagreeing all the time. 
Number one sign of, of the, uh, to see how long that therapists use to see how long a marriage is going to last is how they manage conflict and disagreements. If, you, if no one could disagree with you, you're going to end up alone. Like simple as that. But when you, when you apply the model of the Trinity in your life, you start seeing like, wow, we can have different points of views and still be in harmony. One of my favorite uh, writers and speakers, he's Rick Warren. He, can, can we put it on the screen? He said, our culture has accepted two lies. The first is that if, if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear them or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. Wow. You don't have to compromise your convictions to be compassionate. We have to learn to disagree. Can I tell you something? Please don't take it personal when someone disagrees with you. And can I tell you something? Let's apply the sports analyst principle. They're always disagreeing and they're so close. All the sports analysts, the people that watch sports shows, like, know what I'm talking about. They're always disagreeing with each other, yet they talk about how they have lunch together, they eat together, they hang out together. But they can't see eye to eye when it comes to sports. And in the same way, I know it's funny or crazy, but in the same way, we need to be able to disagree and still be able to have a nice time together. Um, I have here on my notes something I wanted to share with you. We're all guilty of creating our own cult. <laughs> We're all guilty of creating our own cult. How many here have the tendency to surround yourself with people that agree with you? We all do. And we surround ourselves with people that always agree with us and see things the way we see things. And, and all of a sudden, we create the Caesar cult, you know, or the Jeremy cult or the, or the Anthony cult. Because we're creating this, this, this cult where we only hang out around people that agree with us. And we create an insulated environment. Have you guys, you guys obviously know the houses. They have this thing in uh, between the walls, padding, that helps stuff from the outside, the heat, not come inside and vice versa. A lot of the times, that's how we create relationships. We are so blocked out from people that disagree with us. Um, Kaylee and I, we recently had a conversation with somebody that lives in the middle of nowhere. Um, and um, it, this person's white. And they live in a rural, rural town, and the topic of immigration came up. Ooh, you know? And this person was telling us about their views about immigration and their views about immigration. And most of us there in the table were uh, immigrant-based, you know, like many of us are, right? And some of us had to hold back, you know, our... our, our our tongue, and some of us had to calm down our tempers. But the goal was to be able to have an edifying conversation there, even if we saw things differently. And this white person, which white guy, which was he was awesome, he asked us, "This is, but this is my view as a middle of nowhere white guy. What do you think, as people that are with immigrants?" 
What's your point of view? And to me, I was like, thank you for not blocking yourself with people that only think the way you think. Are you guys following me? That's why it's so important that the Trinity becomes your model on having unity even though people disagree with you. And disagreeing does not mean they hate you. And I repeat, if you do not know how to disagree, don't get married. Okay? Please, do yourself a favor. Learn to disagree with people in a very positive way and then get married. And the last thing, the third lesson that we get from the Trinity is that your view of God affects everything you do. The cornerstone and foundation of everything you see in life is based on your view of God. For example, if you do not believe in God, then nothing in life has meaning. Can I say that again? If you do not believe in God, then nothing in life has meaning. In life, if you don't believe in God, in life, there's no good or bad. There's just different. You following me? So, for example, the Holocaust, that was, if you, there was no God, the Holocaust wasn't good or bad. It was just someone's leadership style. That was just their way. So your view of God really affects the way you see all of life. But if you believe in God, then that means that life has purpose. That means family has purpose. That means love has purpose. That means friendship has purpose. If you believe in God, it affects everything you do. Especially, like the scriptures say, if you believe that God is a community of three, then working as a team and, and depending on healthy relationships is going to be almost natural for you. So the way you see God affects everything. That is the third lesson from the Trinity. That the way you see God literally becomes the cornerstone of everything. I don't know if you know, know this. Did you know that churches in the 1200s invented universities? All the major Ivy League universities that you hear about, they were started, they started, they were started by churches. And did you know that the number one subject of all of the whole school was theology? It was, they called it the mother of sciences. What, is, what am I trying to tell you? What I'm trying to say is that your view of God literally affects everything you do. And so that's why I would ask you to please start applying this foundation of the Trinity. Because when you start seeing God as three in one, a community of three in one, that will start affecting the way you do life, the way you work, the way you see love, the way you see uh, your, your own life, the way you see everything will start being affected by your view of your God. Does that make sense? And so I want to close today by saying if it's tragedy, the Trinity is working we can see the Trinity. For example, if there's tragedy, the Father is your focus. Jesus is your companion in suffering, and the Spirit is comforting you. It's a teamwork. If it's at work, 
The Father is the one who gave us that job. Jesus is our model of leadership. And the Spirit is giving us fresh ideas on how to embedder the company. You see, you see what I'm trying to say there? That it's, a, it's a teamwork. It's teamwork. If you, let, let me give you another example. In a marriage, in a relationship, the Father is the one who gives us great times together. Jesus is our model of love and humility. And the Spirit is the one that produces love and forgiveness. So, Renee, what was your whole goal today? My goal today was to implant in your mind the model of the Trinity. That is one of our non-negotiables because we strongly believe that God is a God that works in community. On behalf of our church, we want to thank you for listening to this week's message. RLA is a biblical grassroots church located in South Los Angeles. We are a community who is here to restore the hurting, anxious, and those discouraged by religion. We hope to have you back next week.